Let's go to the Lord and pray together. Father, we come this Lord's Day and we bow our hearts before you. And we just come recognizing that we need you. And we do pray that. We pray, help us. We've spent this week praying and seeking your face. And this week of prayer for spiritual awakening. And Father, we pray for that. Pray for that right now. And we pray for that beyond now. That we would be yours truly in heart and soul and life. Even as we heard from Acts that we would have that kind of passion. A heart for Christ. So help us. If there's any here who don't know Christ this morning. That they would meet the living Christ this morning. And come to him who will receive them gladly. And so we pray for your hand right now as we go to your word. We do ask that it would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We need your lamp and your light. We don't, just, we don't need just trendy ideas and psychologies and all these things of our day, things that will pass. And, but we have here the abiding word of God. And so may we look to you this morning to hear from you, not depending on ourselves, our own wisdom, but on you. And so we ask for your grace, for your help as we are weak and needy. May we see that Christ is sufficient, the one that we need. And so may we cling to, the, to Christ and to the gospel. So bless now this time as we go to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the letter to the Galatians. Letter to the Galatians. And so we'll be beginning this morning a new series walking through the entirety of this letter of Galatians. And so Galatians chapter 1 verses 1 through 5, if you'll turn there. The Protestant reformer. Martin Luther, out of concern for the spiritual state of one of his friends, he wrote him a letter and he asked him a rather direct and blunt question. And the question was this. Have you finally become sick and tired of your own righteousness and taken a deep breath of the righteousness of Christ and learned to trust in it? Now, if you know Martin Luther, that's just kind of the way he was. He would just lay it out in your face like that and very blunt and asking questions like that to a friend. And no doubt this is a blunt question and a question that you likely have not been asked before. Someone standing in front of you and telling you or asking you this question. Yet... Hearing that question this morning, it is a good question. It is a right question for us to ask, and it gets close here for us as we're heading into this new series, Walking Through Galatians. It gets at the heartbeat of what we will see as we walk 
through this letter, book by, or chapter by chapter, and verse by verse of this grand epistle. It is a letter that may, be, may well be one of the most unadorned of Paul's letters. He just comes, and he comes with great passion, as he often does. But he comes just laying it out there. Very blunt. One of the most unadorned letters of Paul's. Just plainly setting forth the gospel and justification by faith in Christ, in Christ alone. And so Luther, he called Galatians my own epistle to which I have plighted my troth, my Katie von Bora. Now, if you don't know who that is, that was Martin Luther's wife. And so, in other words, Galatians was as close to him as his wife. He loved Galatians that much. And so it was his his favorite book. And so he went to it often and preached it and taught it. And he wanted to make sure that the saints got it. That it's Christ and Christ alone who saves. Don't add anything else. Just Jesus. And we will see that over and over again as we walk through this letter. And so it is that we come then to this powerful letter this morning. And so I would urge you and even exhort you to let this letter do its work and exhort us to Christ. So let's read these opening verses here. May God bless the reading of his word. May God's word speak. Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now this very brief kind of introduction or beginning to this letter here, this simple greeting to the churches of Galatia, it may seem like just that, just a simple greeting. You know, you may be asking, oh man, (laughs) what are we doing here? (laughs) A whole Sunday on these first five verses of of this letter to the Galatians. I mean, why do we need to spend time doing that? Yet with these words, we have Paul already getting about the business of his letter. And we'll see that in good time. But Paul, he was a man who had met Christ. As David read a moment ago from Acts chapter 9, Christ, he appeared to Saul or Paul, and he absolutely changed Paul forever. No doubt about it. And from then on, what was Paul about? He was about the Lord's business. Whatever Christ called him to do, that was for him to do. And he would do it. You know, we see his heart for Christ. I mean, you just can't avoid it as you walk from letter to letter within the New Testament that Paul has written. I mean, 
One place I go back to again and again, I go back to often, is Paul's words from the letter to the Philippians. And just how he just lays out his heart for Christ and how Christ changed him so powerfully and so drastically there in Philippians 3, 7. He says, well, whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. What a heart for the Lord. You just see it spilling out from him. You know, this, this heart that he, he loves Christ. And I, even as we just get into this beginning kind of part, may that be our heart also. I mean, a heart that just says, yeah, there may be walls there. It may be challenging. People may not come to Christ right away. But I will go and I will preach Christ. And I'll make disciples of Jesus Christ. I think of the missionaries who went out on the field, like William Carey and others, Adoniram Judson, and they did not see converts for years. Yet, who was their hope? Jesus Christ. And they had a gospel to preach. And they kept preaching the gospel. And they were faithful to the end. And how God used them. And how God will use you if we'll simply preach Christ and Christ alone. And how God used Paul. Jesus changed Paul and he appointed him to go and to make disciples, declaring Christ before all, and especially to the Gentiles. And Paul did that, he fulfilled his calling. And so here, as we Look at these opening verses. Paul has a lot to say. And he begins the letter making clear. We see here the beginning makes clear the authority of Paul. The authority of Paul. Now, right off, you know, our our ears might kind of perk up with that, to perk up at this. What do you mean by authority, you know? (laughs) No one tells me what to do, you know? We kind of heard that a little bit last week. You know, my kingdom come, my will be done. We struggle with that, don't we? Especially, well, all over the place. (laughs) But especially in America. You know, autonomous individuals. No one's going to tell me what to do. And so, just hearing that right there, right now at the beginning, the authority of Paul, which is definitely a note here. We may kind of struggle with that. Well, this isn't just Paul saying, you better listen to me because I said so. (laughs) That's not what he's, he's doing here. This is Paul saying, I write with authority because God has given me that authority. And what we'll find is, yes, Paul, he, he will put it forth plainly in this letter. 
but he's a man who loved greatly. And he appeals because he loves greatly. He loves Christ. He loves the saints. And he wants people to hold fast to the one true gospel. And so he is in serious business here. And so in other words, what he's saying is that God stands behind him in his words. God stands behind him in his words. He isn't just some wannabe apostle. He really is an apostle of Jesus Christ. You see, there were certain requirements for being an apostle. It wasn't simply because you wanted to. You know, just you said, I think I'm an apostle, so I'm an apostle. I mean, people kind of do that today, you know, right? Some people call themselves apostle. I don't know if you knew that, but there are those who say they are apostles today. Now, there were requirements, though, for you to be an apostle. You would have needed to have been with Christ during his ministry. You would have had to have seen him. You would have had to have been appointed by Christ. Well, that is what happened with Paul. And contrary to what some may claim today, they are not in the same position as Peter or John or Paul here. Unfortunately, there are those who still try to do that. And sadly, we can see kind of a flavor of this, even among pastors. You know, when they, they demand and they go beyond the word of God, they're demanding of people an authority that they don't have. It is God's word that is the authority. Amen. You know, lately I've been listening to a podcast. You may never have heard of it before, but it's actually very popular. <laughs> and if you haven't heard of it, you might have just seen it scrolling through Facebook or whatever, but it's the podcast, The Rise and Falls, Fall of Mars Hill. Now, in that podcast, there are some sad things there detailing just that, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And what, you're like, what is Mars Hill? Well, Mars Hill was a church in Seattle. And it began, and many people began coming to faith in Christ, and it just exploded. But behind it, there was someone who was doing something of this. Abusing authority, verbally abusing the saints, going beyond the authority that he did not have. And so this happens today. It's a, it's a sort of this kind of thing, saying I have an authority I don't really have because it's going beyond the word of God. And unless we, unless we set ourselves on a pedestal, Aside from the grace of God, so go we. And it, you may not be a pastor. You can just be simply doing it in your home. You've got to listen to me. Because I have an authority. You must bow down to it. Whether husband, wife, man or woman, or child. We can do this too. Well, Paul, he isn't doing that. He isn't doing any of that. He isn't mimicking, he isn't role-playing, he isn't pretending to be an apostle. Now there will be those who we encounter in Galatians who are doing just that. But he's not doing that. 
He was appointed to be an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Not from men, nor through man. And so this letter bears God's authoritative stamp upon it. It is not just the words of a man. Here we have the words of God. And so if you have a problem with these words, if you're trying to add to the gospel in some way, you don't have just a problem with Paul. You have a problem with God. You have a problem with Jesus himself. You have a problem with God the Father. And he is not okay with that. Even as we see and will see here. So Paul sets forth this letter under Christ as his servant. Who God, he comes under Christ and Christ who God rose from the dead. And so that is authority. Because God, what did he do with Christ? He set his seal upon Christ. If you remember from Haggai last week, God had made him his signet ring, Zerubbabel, and that pointed forward to Jesus Christ, the one who would come and be the king of kings and lord of lords, bringing about God's kingdom in its fullness. It is upon Christ God has set his seal. And so... Paul is coming under that Christ, the one who did not remain in the grave, but he is the Lord, he is risen, he is king, and it is this one, Jesus and God the Father, that has appointed Paul to this task. And if you think this is a small point, this is not the only time Paul's going to bring this up. He's going to come back to it again very quickly. And say, oh, no, 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 I want to make sure you know that I'm, I'm not just kind of a mimicking apostle or this fake apostle. I am a re- the real deal. An important point. And God wants us to know it. But even so, as he does this, we see that he's not alone either. Just a few words, but he, he writes this to the churches of Galatia and those who are with him and And he has those who are with him, and it says, so he writes this, and those who are with him, and all the brothers who are with me. Why does he write that? Well, he's he's saying this this is kind of serving as a a further endorsement. If you have a problem with me, well, there are others here also who agree with this. There are even witnesses that I have written these words. These are my words. So in all this, we need to see here That we need to stand upon God's authoritative word. We need to stand upon God's authoritative word. That this letter is for us from God. What it has to say is for us to be heard, to be received, and to let it have its full effect. Why? Well, it certainly means it stands above any and any other or over any contrary word to it. And so it was then that that Martin Luther, right, stood and he would not be moved at the Diet of Worms in 1521. He said, unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. Amen. Because this is the word of God. 
And we cannot give it up. Not one word. It is from Him. And so we do that. We stand upon God's Word like that. It may be required of us. Perhaps, you know, one day you may be challenged, saints. Someone comes and preaches a contrary gospel. I mean, my goodness, there are those doing that today. And you'll be called to say, I stand upon the Word of God. I stand upon this gospel. And the gospel they are preaching is not the gospel. It is a sad thing that more people recognize the gospel today in association with the health and wealth gospel than the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. So we do have a gospel to preach. I mean worldwide. They recognize it according to that one. And that's not this one. A gospel without suffering, a gospel without a cross. And that is not the gospel. So we may stand upon God's word that way. We also may stand upon it and we need stand upon it even as we are doing now week by week. Standing upon it as I seek to lay open for you and before you expositing the word of God. You know all this right here, like you may, may be looking at the sanctuary and, and you never thought about like, why is it set up like this? Why is the pulpit up here? Why did they put pulpits back in the day so high up they had steps to get up to them? Because why? Not because the preacher is the authority, but because of why? The word of God is what you need. You need to hear that from him coming down to you. This is why it's set up this way. The center of the room, that you may hear the Word of God preached. This is the authority. And that is why we have it set up this way. It's not just like, hey, this would be nice. Put it right here. You know? Make it a little higher. <laughs> you know? That's kind of nice too. Looks, you can see them real well. That's not why they do that. It's because God's Word is the authority. So we need to hear it Sunday after Sunday. We need to study it. We need to hear the full counsel of the Word of God. Amen. Even those parts that we would rather perhaps turn away from. And may that not be. So we can, and we ought to stand upon it in that way. We stand upon it in that way, but we also stand upon it as we are molded by it. We're corrected by it. It changes our lives. We stand under it as we open God's word each day to hear from it again and again. You want to know how you show the world the authority of the word of God and the, the reality of the gospel? Well, that's how. I'm serious about these things. These things came from God. We stand upon God's word in our lives by saying, you know, it's not just, a, you know, uh, I affirm it like Martin Luther did. I mean, I'll defend the Bible. I'll, I'll stand up like Martin Luther did and defend the gospel of Jesus Christ all day. But then you denounce the authority of the word of God and denounce the gospel by your life. That undermines the authority of the gospel and the reality of the gospel. 
toe. If we would think that, well, you know, maybe it's not that big of a deal that I don't make disciples of Christ, if I don't preach him, if I don't shine as a light in the midst of my workplace and say I belong to Christ in wisdom, in humility, in love. We need to consider, are we really standing upon these things? Do we really believe them? And so we can stand upon it that way and we stand upon it as we disciple and make disciples of the word and in accord with the word of God. Because why? We're teaching them to observe everything that Christ commanded. I'm not making you a disciple of me. It's Christ. That's why we make disciples. And that's how we can stand under the word of God. And so we see this is our call. And we see this in Paul's points here. And we see who now it is written to. This is written to believers. Now, isn't that interesting? I find it interesting because I think many churches right now, just consider this. Hebrews, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. So what is this gathering about? The saints gathering to worship Christ. Come in and come all. Yes, come. We want you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come into our gathering. But this gathering is about Christ and about the gospel and about those who know Christ. Because we gather that we may go and scatter and make disciples. So isn't that interesting? This is written to the churches, to the saints. And what is he preaching the gospel. We need the gospel. You and I do. Amen. He's writing to believers. And so here we have the sender Paul and all with him, the recipients, the believers of Galatia, and now he finishes his greeting. And what does he do? He magnifies the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as he writes there in verses 3 through 5, he's talking about real grace and real peace. Now, this is not a general grace and peace. What do I mean? Well, it's not, it's not like manufactured. It's not like merely printed on a coffee cup, you know? You know how they have that? And you can go to the, you know, well, in Oklahoma it was Mardell. But Lifeway, and I guess Lifeway is not really around anymore either. So go online, christianbook.com, you know, and you'll find grace and peace and all these things on those. It's not just like a manufactured, like on a coffee cup kind of thing or hung on your walls or imprinted on your shirts. But it is something that is to be in our hearts. Not just those things. Well, it's not in our hearts. And so this is talking about true, real grace and peace from God alone, found in Christ alone. Praise the Lord. And so we see here first that this gospel is a gospel of grace. A gospel of grace. And as you know, maybe you don't, but either way, unmerited favor. It's unearned. It's a gift. It's the gift of all gifts. Freely given. Freely given by God. If he had not sought after us, we would never have sought after him. 
our sinful, sin-fallen nature, we would have every single time chosen sin. And that's what we do until grace. And we see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we want it. We come running to the one who can save us. Gladly. Grace. Grace by God for those who are unworthy, undeserving of it. But deserving of punishment. And by His grace, through Christ, you have peace with God. Grace and peace. You have reconciliation with God. So through Christ, you're made right with God. You're reconciled. You are now then, right then, made righteous forever. And so what did the Gospel do? It has made you free. The Gospel has come and set you free. And God did that, not you. And so he has here at the beginning of this letter no throwaway words. In fact, he is giving the very message that he will give throughout this letter. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This grace and peace came from God. And so Paul, he he kind of focuses in here now and kind of pauses and just kind of sits here and he, he just wants to kind of lift up the gospel and just he sits here and he glories in what Christ has done. He glories in what Christ has done and why? Well, he's already about going about the business of this letter. He's already driving home the message through Christ and what he has done for us. We are free. You remember, saints, you are here. I'm writing this letter to you because of grace. You are in that grace. And because of that grace, you have peace with God through Christ. And because he he writes this, and he writes this because Paul was a man changed by these things. He is not writing here, like this, of mere abstractions. Like these are just a bunch of theories. He's talking about real life that is possible through Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, whether you're a child or an adult, Jesus is calling for you to come to Him Amen. by grace through Christ that you may have peace with God this very morning. And it can be yours. So this gospel, it is not some dusty old book we just kind of throw off to the side. Like, okay, (laughs) all right, preacher, we have heard this before. (laughs) You know, every Sunday, don't we kind of talk about Jesus? Yeah, we do. (laughs) You know, this, this gospel is not something that we just had way back in 1970 or 1980 or 2000 or 2002. We're just like, okay, I heard all that. Now let's get to the good stuff. Tell me a story, an illustration. Tell me, tell me, give me some humor. Make me laugh, you know. Get to the good stuff here. Entertain me, because that's where I'm getting everywhere else, right? Give me some entertainment here on Sunday mornings. Well, friends, 
Paul is saying here and what I, we are all need to see right now that this is the good stuff. Amen. This gospel is our message and it is to be ongoingly transforming us, changing us, and radiating from our lives. And this very real grace and peace came through an offering. It came through Christ. He, Jesus, gave himself for our sins. So Jesus, he came and he paid the penalty for our sins and it was costly. You know, sometimes I think we treat the gospel like one of those cheap lead pencil erasers, you know? You think you're going to do well by buying it like a Dollar Tree, you know? <laughs> or wherever you get at Walmart, you know? You're like, all right, good deal. And then you begin using it. Terrible job, right? This leaves a big smudge everywhere. It's not erasing anything, and then it leaves all the little particles and everything else, you know? The pink and all that, you know, leaving it all behind. Just one big mess on the page. Well, I think sometimes it's kind of the way we think of the gospel. Yeah, sure, he forgives me, but ah, not, not totally, you know. There's still something I need to do. There's still something I got I to gotta keep doing, you know. It's not just that easy, you know. It's just Jesus. But friends, that's not true. That's not the gospel. That's not Jesus. That's not what Jesus does. It's not just smeared all over. That's not what Jesus does. When he comes and he saves you, he declares over you clean. Clean. Righteous. That's what happened changed, new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. That's what he did. He didn't just renovate. He gave you a new nature. <laughs> he made you new. You are a new creature in Christ. And that is reason to rejoice this morning, saints. And Jesus, in his offering of himself, he delivers. He delivers. He gave himself for our sins to deliver us. Now, he didn't, he didn't deliver us by taking us out of this world. But he did it by making us eternally part of his that nothing in this world can shake the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can take it away. No matter how bad you feel, Christ can handle it. He has forgiven you and you are His. Friends, yes, this present age is evil as it says here. But our hope isn't in Captain Kirk or Spock or some future utopia to come it is in Christ and it is in his kingdom that we hope Amen. and so what of all this what is to be our response to all of these things well first and foremost if you don't know Christ this morning 
the only response for you is not to say, okay, let me go clean myself up a little bit, and then I'll give myself to Christ. Your response this morning is to come to faith in Jesus Christ, to believe that he came and he did justice. He came and died for your sins to deliver you from this present evil age. To give you life. And that is your first and foremost response this morning. And so if you don't know Christ this morning, Jesus is saying, believe in me. All your sins, all your debts, I will wipe away. You can't do it. But when I do it, you'll be clean. So that is to be your response this morning if you don't know him. But if you are in Christ this morning, see here that he has bought us to set us free. And that in Christ we are freed to glorify the Father forever. And so it is that Paul, he, he's just glorying. You read this at greeting, it's his heart spilling out as well. So it is he exclaims, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so we have our call this morning then. And really the central call of the letter of Galatians. Live according to the grace and peace found in Christ and Christ alone. Don't add to it. Nothing more is needed. All you need is Christ. Real grace and real peace are found only in Him. So are you unrighteous? Are you guilty and broken and lost and desperate for a Savior? Well, Christ is that Savior. So if you've never been asked Luther's question before, let me ask it now. Have you finally become sick and tired of your own righteousness? And taken a deep breath of the righteousness of Christ and learned to trust in it. I pray you would. I pray you would look to and rest in glory in Christ this morning. To the glory of God, the Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, you know our hearts. You know as we are beginning this step into this letter. You know what we need. And this morning you have set before us what we need, who we need. And it is Christ. And Jesus, we come as those who, man, I know I don't deserve the salvation. And I think if every one of person here were here right now where I am, they would say the same. Because we just we just need you. You are our life. We agree with Paul that we count everything as lost compared to this fascinating value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. We count it all as rubbish. 
we see that we bank and we live according to grace. And by that grace that we have in Christ, we now have peace with God through Christ. And so we come to you, Lord, this morning, and we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the gospel. That we can hear it again, and we will hear it again. And I pray we will hear it again. And I pray that this morning you would help us anew if we have found that our own souls are drifting, beginning to trust in something else, trusting in even things that are good. In and of themselves, they're good. Reading our Bible is good. Praying is good. But have we learned to trust in Christ and Christ alone as our only righteousness? And so help us, Lord. I pray for anyone here who doesn't know Christ this morning. Help them to see and believe. And so be with us now as we respond and sing of grace that is greater than all our sin. May we rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen.